listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. So you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us today for episode number 275. What's happening, Mark? You don't sound like Paige. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a good thing. So I was kind enough, Paige is not feeling where I was kind enough to get Ollie, who's been a longtime member of the gang, to join us. And we got much more to come from him. But thank you for filling in. This was really cool of you. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's just sort of a, not necessarily a lifelong dream, but it's really cool to see how this podcasting stuff works. So I'm really yeah. excited and a little nervous to fill. There's some big shoes to fill in. Dude, if this is a lifelong dream of yours, we need to get you out more. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that it's not the first time I've heard that. You want to read the review? Yeah, sure. So far, the review here it says, here it says, better than any news agency. So it's a, basically a shout out here. So this is just a big shout out and thank you from Wyoming's Joint Minerals Business and Economic Development Committee. We depend on your reporting of the news to help us make sound economic and business decisions for the residents of our state. Mark and Page, what you do is amazing, is making a big difference. Please keep up the great work. Man, what a great review. is a five-star review. So thank you, Wyoming's Joint Mineral Business and Economic Development Committee. No yeah. pressure on me to get stuff right if y'all are using our show to make decisions. But hey- Economic love- decisions, but don't forget <laughs> economic decisions for an entire state. You know, yeah, that's some- <laughs> that's Now you're a making big, me sweat even more. <laughs> right? <laughs> but seriously, guys, thanks for the review. And if you'd like to leave us a review and you love the show, let us know. And if you think there's something we can change, I'll let us know in the review as well as that. Let's get into the news stories. What's up first? All right. For first story here, BLM approves first application for permanent carbon storage on public lands. Now, what is really cool about this is BLM, which typically regulates the oil and gas industry on land in the U.S., has went ahead and green-lighted ExxonMobil's proposal to sequester carbon in Wyoming. And what's really cool about this, so first thing is, we've used carbon dioxide and we've injected it in reservoirs for decades as a well stimulation technique. I talked to somebody the other day, Ollie, and they thought it pressurized the reservoir and I had it correct. It's like, it actually doesn't. What it really does is add energy to the oil, which makes it less viscous and easier to get to out, get of, out of the well. Ground yeah, it doesn't right. stick to the rock. But what's cool about this, this is the US government saying, okay, ExxonMobil, you have the mechanical, physical ability to pour carbon dioxide out of the air. We're going to let you sequester it. We're going to let you inject it underground and use it for commercial uses. Now, what's really, and I've said this before, what's really cool about this is up until just recently, all of the major operators, actually not just major operators, all the operators in the world that use advanced well stimulation techniques like CO2 injection had to buy carbon dioxide. And there's companies out there like Air Liquide and there are a bunch of other ones that actually mine carbon dioxide. They drill in volcanoes and they capture carbon dioxide and they sell it commercially. Well, now ExxonMobil is going to get the taxpayers to pay for this to pull the carbon dioxide out of there, which they can later sell or use for well stimulation. They could also use it for greenhouses. You know, here and around the world, greenhouses buy CO2 to speed up plant growth. If you don't know this, CO2 is plant food. So this is one of those win-win situations where, number one, ExxonMobil is going to make money off this. And that's not a bad thing. When you make money off something that affects the environment, it allows people to do it faster and quicker. Number two, if you believe CO2 is a problem in our atmosphere, here's a solution that makes financial sense. And number three, Exxon's partnered with the government on this, whereas usually Exxon and BLM don't always see eye to eye. So yeah. I just think this is a great win all the way around. Plus, it's going to be a way for us to study how does this affect things. So this is a step in the right direction, no matter how you look at it. I love this. 
I think you're right. It's a step in the right direction because as far as I remember, I've had people tell me that CO2 sequestration is not necessarily, like you said, it's not necessarily an oil technology. The article even says, highlights it. Some been around since like the 40s. So it's nice that it's finally, you get some sort of an example of partnership here between industry and the government regs. All right. Next story, story number two, Europe braces for rationing risks. This is crazy, Ali. This is literally up until recently, you know, here in Europe, we were spoiled by cheap, reliable energy. And what's happening is the winter's coming. We all know that there's not enough hydrocarbons on the global market. It hasn't really been since 2020, the pandemic picked back up. And the world's suffering from a lack of energy, and Europe's can actually have blackouts. And then this article is actually a couple of days old. I actually read this morning, Ali, where the Nord Stream pipeline is down. And Russia yes, is saying Russian is saying that we can't get the parts to fix it, which is a there's a backstory there. I don't believe that for a moment. I believe it's Russia twisting the knife and saying, look, this is what's gonna happen as it gets colder. But this article is about the planned outage. You know, the European prime ministers have understood that now Russia is using gas as a weapon of war, which is that's you know, they've done this for decades. And to actually have the timing of Gazprom saying that the Nord Stream pipeline's going down while Europe's hitting the winter, it's not even a veiled threat. It is a threat. Yeah, it's a legit threat, right? Yeah. And then Germany's right smack in the middle of this. Now, let me tell you something interesting. If you read some of the other news articles about this, you'll hear that like in Germany, that their gas storage are 80%, 85%, 90% full, which makes you think, oh, they're okay. That 90% full gas storage is going to last the country three days. Yeah. That's not, we haven't even hit winter yet. This scares me. I mean, you know, people talk about this, that, and the other, and a third world war breaking out. When countries and their people start freezing to death in winter, that's when bad stuff starts to happen from a warfare point of view. So we're going to really keep a close eye on this. Yeah, it's a prime example of weaponizing the natural resources that they have or they have access to, right? And that, that they need. Yeah, and that they need. And obviously the producer in this case is certainly using it as a, I don't even know if you can call it a bargaining chip. It's just dirty pool and they talk about a spare turbine that's in flux and suddenly import documentation isn't correct and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, it's a bad situation all the way around. We talked to some previous episodes. So they're talking about this one turbine that they can't get because the company is not letting it go through because of sanctions. When you run a natural gas pipeline, you have spares. Don't tell me you don't have spare turbines laying around. Yeah. And yeah. for some bizarre reason, if you don't have spares, you can buy one from China, right? Because of the <laughs> sanctions, you can't buy one from us. But that's a poor excuse. That's a shallow excuse. This is going to get worse before it gets better. We're going to keep a very, very close eye on this. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure we'll see a lot of different news stories and headlines and things like that as the year progresses, right? So the next story, number three, falling share prices on the horizon. So can you say endeavors? No, I can't say that really well. <laughs> I have a hard time saying it too. That's the old yeah. drilling info. And that's who actually this article is from. What's really cool is Endeavors just came on as a new sponsor for uh, oil and gas industry leaders. So that's why I've learned to say their name properly. Yeah. <laughs> But they're talking about this is one of the big research company, and they've released their quarterly report looking just short-term, medium-term outlook for oil and gas. The surge in dollar, weakening in the U.S. and Chinese economies, the recession risk inside the North America and outside of North America is all saying that commodity prices, especially Brent, WTI, that gas is going to fall, which is actually not a bad thing. You know, we just talked about Europe has a shortage and we have abundant natural gas that if our own politicians would get out of the way, we could ship to them with LNG plants and actually help 
keep Russia from leveraging Europe. But the high energy prices here in the U.S. have hurt a lot of people. You know, people are struggling to fill up their cars with gasoline. It's added to the price of food. So to see the hydrocarbon prices here come down a little bit, even though I know the producers aren't happy to hear this, is, is actually a good thing for the American North, really North American people. And when I say come down a little bit, we still expect to see Brent and WTI to be between 80 and $100. So that's a very good price point. Yeah, it seems to be at least earlier this year before all the you know political craziness. That seemed to be a decent balance. So we'll see what happens. Yep. Next one, fossil fuel support doubles in 2021, hurting climate goals. I told y'all, I told y'all <laughs> in November of last year that this year when it got to the point where there's an energy shortage, all of a sudden people and countries start second uh, thinking about trying to get rid of hydrocarbons or fossil fuels. And that's exactly what's going on. The world's an energy shortage. It's going to last at least for another two years. It's hurting economies. It's actually hurting food production, that which hasn't really hit us yet. It'll hit us in about three months. This is showing that governments and municipalities and people are going, you know what, maybe we shouldn't not support fossil fuels. Maybe we should have more support for hydrocarbons in the world. And it's happening. This is a great article. This is in a rig zone talking about from a dollar point of view, a financial investment point of view, the support for hydrocarbons has doubled. They had to throw in it's hurting climate goals. I hate when they throw that in. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. The U.S. produces the cleanest hydrocarbon molecule on the planet. If you're really worried about the environment, look at other countries, especially nationalized oil companies, where honestly, they don't really care about the environment or about the health of their people. There's worry about making a dollar. But this is really good. Now, we just had the IRA pass. And Ali, I'm old enough to remember when that was the Irish Republican Army. (laughs) Yes, I might be that same thing. I I do remember the news stories about the IRA back when I was a kid. So I'm old enough, too. But that's the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed. And there's hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to be subsidizing renewables. But the cool thing about even some of that, which I don't necessarily agree with, is that one of the the things that's built into there is that things like the parts and pieces, the batteries, all that sort of stuff, it has to be manufactured in the U.S. So it's going to bring those manufacturing jobs back here to the U.S. And not today, but normally in the last, say, six or seven years, the U.S. has very cheap manufacturing because the cost of electricity is so cheap here compared to the rest of the world. So even though I don't necessarily agree with everything that's in the IRA, I think from a market point of view, it actually may work its way out where a lot of this money that's being pumped in the economy for renewables will bring manufacturing jobs here back in the U.S. And on top of that, I think the public has realized that trying to get rid of hydrocarbons too quickly hurts everybody. So I think this is good for everybody. Yeah, this more, I guess, information and more education out there is usually helpful because, you know, you've even seen Elon Musk tweeting out, hey, we need more production. We need yeah. more production. And I'm like, everyone's talking about it. When I saw that tweet, I nearly dropped my phone. I was like, wow, this is the guy that's, you know, this is just one of those guys. And so, yeah. Yeah. I would have lost money. Somebody would just told me he would just send that tweet. I go, there's no way Elon Musk would ever send that tweet that we need more hydrocarbons. But to your point, he's right. And it's literally just common sense. I usually have that or say that out loud to at least people that are within that can hear me. It's not like you can just call somebody to turn a valve and then all of a sudden we got more production. It takes a lot of time. Go out, go out West Texas and you'll be out there and see it's, it's a lot of work. We've talked about that a lot. And unfortunately, here in the U.S. and also in Canada, neither political side really understands that. One political side wants us to disappear. The other side doesn't know what we do and how the business works. And so this is a prime example of it took the public suffering because of lack of energy for the world to go, wait, wait, maybe these hydrocarbons are useful, right? So this is good stuff. Yeah. So far, so good. Well, again, we'll see how it goes. Next story, Slumberjay, Subsea 7, Acre Solutions for new subsea business. 
So you come from that subsea world or you touch Somewhat, that subsea yeah. world. Yeah, that's right. So this is really cool. This is a combination of, you know, Schlumberger has played in that subsea world for a while. Acker was a subsea or is a subsea manufacturer, like our favorite Technique FMC, one of our favorite right. sponsors. <laughs> and so what they're doing is they're coming together with different pieces of the value chain in subsea, bringing it all together, modernizing, electrifying a lot of this, which is going to drive efficiencies, which means companies will make more money. At the same time, it's going to have a less of an impact to the environment. Not that we've had much of an impact to the environment subsea recently. Right. Please, no hate mail about the BP Macondo spill. Yes, that was horrible for the environment, but we cleaned it up. But what's interesting about this, Ali, if you actually read through the financials, this is over a $300 million investment. It's going to let Subsea 7 have a 10% interest in this combined company, including Acker. And they're going to, and Slumberjay is going to own 70% of this. Acker is going to own 20%. Subsea 7, like I said, will be owned 10. And then every 10 years, they're going to renew this. Now, let me tell you what this tells me. These three companies, Slumberjay especially, usually don't make bad decisions. And so this is telling me that the subsea oil and gas market not only is coming back, but they expect it to be strong for the next 40 years. Yeah, I find it interesting with the subsea production or subsea processing piece of this is obviously where that's where I cut my teeth, at least when I came in the upstream business. So I'd be interested to see how this plays out over the next five, 10 years. Well, I'll tell you what, like I said, we love Technique FMC. Technique FMC, you better have an eye on this. You got a competitor chasing you down. Yeah, yeah. You know, competition breeds success, I suppose, right? A hundred percent. what happens. Next story, clashes break out in Libya. <sighs> Please, people, can y'all quit fighting with each other? And I get it, right? A lot of Americans, I shouldn't say Americans, a lot of Westerners don't understand the tribal mentality that's going on here. This is the prime minister of Bashaga and then the other prime minister. Bashaga. Bashaga, thank you. And pronounce <laughs> the other prime minister's name. That one, I Dibida. Dibida, yeah. So basically, Bashada is trying to take over the capital. Again, this is like, I don't know, the third or fourth time. The fighting's been going on. Actually, the hostilities have been going on for centuries, quite frankly. And this type of fighting's been going on for 50 years back and forth. And the problem is this is one of the places in the world that actually can add to the global hydrocarbon supply. And because of the fighting, of course, it won't. Now, what's really interesting, and I have a love-hate relationship with Libya based on my time in Marine Corps. <laughs> well, let me tell you, you know, you hear Fair all this enough. bad stuff about Libya. The yeah. people there, like, get away from the military and the politicians. The people there are incredible. They're yeah, hardworking, I imagine honest. They love Americans. You know, even the food over there is fantastic. But there's just that. been decades and decades of strife. And I mean, there's some horrible things that happened over there. Last year, they increased production by 200%. I'm really worried, Ollie, that this fighting that's going on right now is going to reduce that production and the world needs those hydrocarbons. So we're going to keep an eye on this and see where it goes. Yeah. Somewhere in the article, it said something about it threatens the Alshavara field, I believe. So that's, yeah, anytime you're getting close to any field, I'm sure the market doesn't want to react or doesn't react well to those types of things. No, the market doesn't react well to those types of things. Even the perception that something's going on will affect prices. Yep. Next story. Next up is Iraq oil exports unaffected by political turmoil. Speaking of. I saw the fighting going on. This was like, what, four days ago, I think, that that started four or five days ago. To me, it looks like a coup. It looks like the beginning of another coup, which I don't know how many, somebody can correct me, but Iraq's had multiple coups since the last war. You know, Baghdad has seen the worst fighting that's seen in, in a very long time. And once again, most Westerners don't understand the tribal mentality. You know, this is the Shiite Muslims, and this is something that the people there on both sides take very seriously. You know, most Americans call this a religious war. It's not really a religious war. It's a cultural war. 
But once again, it's not good for the people. It's not good for the economy. We need to be able to get these hydrocarbons back on the market. They're saying it's not affecting the exports, and I'm sure it's not affecting it today. Today, yeah, I was going to say that. A week or two, it will absolutely affect exports. Yep. Yep. Those are the types of things. I think an article states the field is the Majnoon oil field. So yeah, anytime, like we said in the last story, anytime you get close, market doesn't seem to react all that well. Well, And the other thing about Iraq is they have tons of conventional reservoirs, but the infrastructure to move that to the ports, to the terminals, to offload it on super tankers has been basically destroyed. And if they could just quit fighting for a little while and rebuild some of that, it would benefit both sides. I don't know what the solution is here. You know, this goes back to biblical times. You know, it's never been... It's tribal, you know, like hummingbirds and rainbows over there. So I would just like to see the hostilities calm down a little bit for a little while, but we'll it see. Would, it would be nice. All right. Next up, oil prices continue to fall as China renews COVID lockdowns. So stop me if you heard this before. <laughs> just stop right now. Uh, as long as we don't go back to 2020. Right. Amen. You know, this is talking about the five and a half percent drop on this past Tuesday on all prices. China's locking down because of COVID. The other thing that's going on that they don't mention in this article is China sees this global recession that's happening. So the demand for manufactured goods is less in a time when there's still shortages. I went to the grocery store yesterday and they had everything on the shelves you could possibly want. They had zero olive oil. Like, where the hell is all the olive oil in the world? Why, why do we have a shortage on that? And then I ordered some shipping boxes almost a year ago for our hot sauce. And they're st- I'm still waiting to get those. And they're coming from China. Wow. I was getting a repair done on my rower. It took over a month because just the little wire, I don't know where it was shipping from, but I mean, they were telling me the company was like, yeah, it's this shortage. And I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll just wait and I can't do anything. So I need a windshield in my 2020 Infinity and there's not one in North America. And I have to get my safety inspection, which was actually expired in February, but I can't get a safety inspection until I get a new windshield. And they've ordered me a windshield. They just can't tell me when it's going to get here. And so I'm waiting to be pulled over a police officer having to explain why my safety say, inspection is. Is this some sort of a confession for you? If we see you on the road, that's an automatic <laughs> ticket for you? So no Houston police people, my Infinity's not white with black rims. So white with black rims, it's not me, I promise you. It's like, got a, like a, you got some decals on the side, right? Or something like that. No decals on the side. Yeah, don't look for American Sorry. flag on the side. Of it. That's not me. I didn't mean to out you. My bad. <laughs> I tell you a funny story about that. Paige and I, right before the pandemic, were in Oklahoma, and I was speeding, and it was ridiculous. I was going, you know, thirty miles over the speed limit, and I got pulled nice. over by a state trooper in Oklahoma. And Ollie, he let me go. Wow. I would have given myself nice. a ticket going that fast. <laughs> You're over there waving yourself. Hey, you know what? Give me a ticket. Let me let me fill out your booklet for you. I'll just put my name here. I'll just. I know how it works. I'm not new to this game. <laughs> so I hit him up on Facebook thanking the department for letting me go. And I got a That's reply. Cool. And they basically said, don't let us catch you again, but you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Back to this, well, there you go. this article. So yep. China is locking down because of COVID, the latest strain. This is affecting prices. And you're also, the other thing you need to worry about this is this starts affecting airlines again globally, especially not business travel, but personal travel. Business travel still hasn't rebounded, but personal travel has rebounded. So we've had a drop. Now, remember, like Ali mentioned earlier, you can't just turn oil production on. At the same time, you can't just turn it off. So if the global demand starts to slow down, we're going to end up with an oversupply, which is going to drive prices down to the rock bottom, again, which is what yep. we don't want to have happen. So everybody's keeping a good eye on this. I don't think it's we have to worry about oversupply, especially with what's going on in the Middle East. You know, we've talked about 
Iraq. We talked about Libya. I think some of those supplies are going to come offline. So I think we're in a good place. But you know, once again, because of COVID lockdowns, you're seeing that affect the, the price of, and it's not just affecting the price of oil. It's projecting the price of all yeah. commodities out there. This is yeah. how the global economy works. And just to that point, I learned specifically just as a result of all the COVID stuff, the global economy, you know, we're interconnected just about everything. I didn't know how interconnected we were when things change one place. Boy, we see it at some point. Yeah, 100%. And it's hard to figure out because of all the different variables that are involved. It's Yeah, it's complicated. It's complex, right? So it's, it's like a spaghetti bowl. Next? So next story, RRC adopts first Texas weatherization rule for natural gas. Yeah, it's a shame that what happened here, and if audience, if you don't know, a couple of winters ago, well, we had some severe cold weather for Texas. And I know the rest of the country is laughing at us when I say severe cold because it got in the 20s, but we weren't prepared for it. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on. And I actually know what really happened. So most of the, and we have a lot of wind, a lot of solar generation here in Texas. But when there's no sun and when there's no wind, we rely on natural gas mostly. And what happened was, when you ship natural gas and pipelines to electrical generation plants, there's a little bit of water in there as a vapor. And as that gas slows down, the vapor turns back to liquid water. And what actually happened is we had frozen gas pipes. And it was really a manpower thing. So we have not had that type of situation with consecutive days of cold weather in Texas in 30 years. So the guys, the men and women in the field that knew how to use a big rosebud tip on a propane torch to heat a natural gas pipeline. And I know every HSE person in the world is going, what did you just say? And I go, yes. (laughs) You can safely, when those pipelines freeze up with the right equipment and the right knowledge, you can use a torch and warm them up to keep the gas Mm -hmm. on. What had happened here in Texas, all those people had retired and left because it hadn't happened 30 years. And the new people that worked in the field had never done it before. So they erred on the side of safety, which is what they should have done. So the gas didn't flow. So the gas electrical generation wasn't there. And so we had energy outage during the some of the coldest weather we ever had. So this is a response. And now our audience are going, why is it the Railroad Commission? Well, here in Texas, the Railroad Commission is the one that regulates the oil and gas industry. So what they've done is they've actually put some rules in from a weatherization point of view to keep that type of major outage from ever happening again to make sure that the citizens of Texas always have reliable power no matter what the weather is. And this was actually good. They did it the right way. They did a lot of research. It wasn't just the Railroad Commission. They hired two separate third parties that came to the same conclusion. This is all around inspection and making sure that the right parts and pieces are in place. Then to make sure that things are enforced, they set fines for the companies out there that don't meet these specifications or for the people that intentionally disregard this weatherization rule. And it's not small dollars. So this is the Railroad Commission doing what it should do for the citizens here in Texas. I think this is awesome. Yeah. So it's a step in the right direction. So yeah, we'll see. Hopefully that doesn't come to that again because we were all affected, right? So yeah, we were, I didn't see my son for two days. He was so cold. He was bundled up in a sleeping bag in his bed under blankets. And it wasn't life-threatening for us, but in parts of Texas, it actually was life-threatening. Been, yeah. And what makes yeah. it bad about that is we're not used to that at all. You know, I know that my, you know, Canadian brothers and sisters are laughing at us when I say it's 20 us, degrees, yeah. but we're not prepared for that. Yeah. It's like anytime here in Houston, when we see snow or any sort of frozen precipitation, city shuts down, man. We're not ready for it. So. People don't know how to drive in it. And yeah. the funny thing is, I, have a, I, actually, don't. I had a friend of mine from Canada, actually, and she goes, Mark, this is frost. This is what we would call a frost in Alberta. This is not even snow. And I go, I get it, but nobody here knows how to drive in this type of weather. So it's the safe thing to do to get everybody off the roads. Yep, exactly. So next up, 
In Norway, old platforms get a second life. I thought this was kind of an interesting article. Yeah, this is really awesome. So, you know, the North Sea has a bunch of conventional reservoirs. A lot of them are very mature. And maybe you don't know this, but when you go and drill a well, especially offshore, part of the plan in most of the world, North Sea specifically, in the Gulf of Mexico as well, is not only do you plan how you produce that well, that production platform, but you also plan how you could take that well down, take that production platform down, and basically cap that well safely, plug and abandon the well. And so what they're doing here is they're doing the same thing where they're taking these platforms, these production platforms down, but they're going to recycle as much as they can. And they're not only just going to recycle the steel, which is relatively easy, they're also going to try to recycle some of the stuff like the concrete. And they're going to grind it up and use it as gravel or as feedstock for, for new concrete. And so I just think this is really cool that some of the oldest offshore platforms in the world, there's plans in place. And not only plans in place, in the North Sea, the money is there automatically. So if you're an operator in North Sea, when you go to drill, you have to establish a fund to decommission the platforms so that there's no way that it never happens, even if the company goes bankrupt or disappears. So I just, I think this is awesome that it's, it's happening and this is something that will continue to happen. It's also a big market. So if, you know, if you're in that part of the industry that does decommissioning rigs, this is a gold mine for you right now. Cause the yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. I saw that at least that was part of the article, something like 98% of the tonnage out there, at least on this particular platform can be recycled and in, recycled into new platforms. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of cool, now we do this here a lot in the Gulf of Mexico, which is much warmer, so it's much more abundant sea life, is we basically sometimes take those platforms and under the direction of biologists and engineers, they cut them up and they place them on the floor to make artificial reefs. It's called rigs to reef here. They're doing the same thing here, Ollie, but instead of- Yeah, that's kind of what I thought too, yeah. Yeah. Instead of cutting up and laying it down, they'll just cut the platform down to the point where it's not a hazard to sea shipping. And then they'll leave the rest of the infrastructure because some of those production platforms have been there for 70 or 80 years and they already have an ecosystem built up around it. So I just think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. So next up, UK conservative candidate promises North Sea oil drilling boom. (laughs) I hear you giggling back there. And I was going to start when I saw the headline too. I said, well, okay. That's the world (laughs) we live in. Up until recently, candidates on both sides of the pond, you know, here in the UK, ran on getting rid of drilling. I think of our current administration right now. Now, like I said earlier, the public's opinion about that has flipped. They want reliable, cheap energy. And so now this next wave of politicians are running on the opposite, promising more oil and gas drilling, which I actually freaking love. Now, don't get me wrong. They're not saying this could be like, hilly, do whatever you want. It's still going to be, they'll make sure it's environmentally responsible. They're going to make sure that it protects their people. It's going to make sure that it provides jobs, all the stuff that we do as an industry, all the prosperity we provide. What they're doing is making it easier to get permits, what we would call permits over there, they call licenses to drill and to operate, which is the right thing to do. Let the market take care of that. If the market doesn't need as much hydrocarbons, then it will take care of itself. But this is the way you ensure prosperity for your people and for your country. And not to mention military safety, the ability for Europe to have its own supply of energy makes it a much safer than when they have to rely on other countries for energy. And if you're here in the U.S., listen to what I just said. The same thing applies here. You know, Our ability to provide our own energy makes us much safer from a military point of view than having to rely on other countries for energy. Yeah, just being able to. And I thought at one point we were, at least here in the we U.S., were essentially for exporting for about 20 minutes. And then, yeah, <laughs> then we changed our mind, I guess. I don't know what happened there. No, what, politics got in the way over here, of like course, it always does. As it usually does, yeah. Yeah, we have so much abundance in hydrocarbons that we could control the world market if we wanted to. We could outproduce OPEC and Russia together easily. Our own politics get in the way. So that's neither here or there. It's just the world yep. we're living in now. But I think it's, it's awesome it is, yeah. that the politicians on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean are now running on pro-oil and gas drilling. Love it. <laughs> I'll be interested to watch how this race goes and 
who ends up winning and then just see if that actually is something that they are able to deliver on. Right. Yep. So next story, North sea gas platform to serve as seabird nesting sites. So in the spirit of the Norwegian article, we were just talking about how awesome is this. So let me tell you how this happened. And by the way, I've experienced with this. I actually long time ago, we used to build cell sites in Florida. We built a tower and before we could put antennas and cable on it, a pair of ospreys built a nest in it, which Mm -hmm. is a protected bird. And so this was in the 90s before the technology was even established. So I convinced the Florida Wildlife and Fisheries to let me use LIDAR. And we mapped that nest to millimeter. And we put up another platform. And I had a team of people take that nest apart, stick by stick, and put it back together exactly in the same shape based on the LIDAR records. And then when the made it pair came back, they went instead of to the tower, to the new nest, and we were able to finish the construction, put antennas and cables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So what happened here is sort of the same thing, although it didn't involve the Florida Wildlife and Fisheries. This is a <laughs> platform called the Windlock Platform, and there's a group of seabirds called kittiwakes, and they, a couple of kittiwakes started building nests on the platform. So instead of trying to get rid of them, what they did is they got a memorandum of understanding with the planning development group there that watches the birds, yeah. Well, they watch the planning to make sure they don't affect wildlife. And they got an agreement to let them use this platform to encourage more kittiwake nests. And now they have a colony of kittiwakes in there (laughs) with about 70 occupied nests. Now, what's really cool about that, that's a big increase for the seabirds that normally, that last about 10 years have been declining. So once this is all said and done, what they're looking at is when they're finished decommissioning this production site, they're going to repurpose it simply for a seabird nesting site. This is the first time this has ever been done to use a topside for this sort of thing because there's been a, a shortage of nesting sites and then there's also been invasive species. So a lot of seabirds around the world, but specifically in the North Sea, nest on the ground. And that mm-hmm. was cool when they didn't have feral cats or rats, right? Well, now, because man's moved cats and rats around the world, you have cats and rats that now eat the seabird's nest, and they have no instinctive defense against that because for you know 300,000 years, they've nested on the ground with no problem. So by nesting out in the water, you eliminate that. So this is a win-win for everybody, including the kittiwakes. Yeah, it said something about doing this with the platform saves either money or time or whatever for, that from building an actual sanctuary for the birds yeah. uh, wherever, somewhere else. So they're using existing infrastructure to just sort of repurpose it. So and mark yeah, I think my that's words, pretty cool. it's going to end up becoming an environmental tourism site. So you see companies make money off bringing tourists to see this offshore, which I just think is cool. <laughs> That'll be cool. Yeah. So. So that's it. All right. So that's the news articles. Real quick, folks, for the first time, we're letting people advertise on the podcast. So if your company would like to get in front of the audience on this show or any of our other 15 shows, uh, reach out to us. The link will be in the show notes. You can also go to OGGN.com forward slash pricing. See what we charge. It's literally dirt cheap. Weekly rig count. Ollie, did you actually get a chance to go to that? I did. And right now, based on the information for this week, it looks like we're up to 760 down from a week ago of about five in the U.S., in Canada, it counts at 208. That's plus seven from the last count. And internationally, up to 860, which is a positive of 27. So that's not too a bad. great number. Yep. Go in the right direction for sure. Speaking of going the right direction, go on LinkedIn, find our company page, OGGN Join. That's where you find out all the cool stuff we're doing. You've heard First Friday Q&A. If you'd like to submit a question, either go to OGGN.com or on GasesWeek.com. Submit your question. If we use your question on the air, you'll get a big shout out. Monthly Oil and Gas Events newsletter. You hear me say this every time. It's free. Once again, the link's in the show notes. So depending if you're on Android or iOS, either scroll up or left, click on it, sign up. We don't spam you. We just let you know about all the cool stuff going on in the industry. Uh, If you'd like myself or Ollie or any of our experts to come to your event and speak or do a live podcast, reach out to us. We'll share the details. Love doing that sort of stuff. So Ollie, this was great. Thanks for joining me. 
Hey, man, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. I'm looking forward, hopefully, to next time. Yeah. So ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's go. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.